Sequel Quest, Episode 78, a sequel to Rad. Welcome to Sequel Quest, the podcast where Adam, Jeff, and Jeremy invite you on a cinematic adventure to create prequels, sequels, and reboots to your favorite movie franchises. Joined by special guests along the way, Sequel Quest is go for launch. So let the adventure begin now. This Sunday, 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 more treacherous than hell track, more elegant than a bike dancing floor routine at the local high school gym. This is the Sequel Quest Podcast, Podcast, Podcast. And if you like down and dirty BMX action, 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 this is the show for you. So put on your low cut spandex jumpsuit and let's walk this sucker. Tonight, we have with us a radical crew of podcasters. Ready to run wild on two wheels. First, riding out of the mean streets of California, it's Hollywood Jeff Campbell Smith. Oh, oh, oh no! Oh, he's wiped out for the third time today. Looks like it's back to the beach for Jeff. Oh, luckily, uh, riding in the second spot for Sequel Quest, we have Jeremy. And what's this? He's uh, skipped the show to take his SATs? That's very self destructive. Well, you never seen such raw determination and talent in a podcaster. I'm Adam, and I ride for me. Just me, I guess. Wait, wait a minute, I, I see two riders cutting across the lumberyard with the police in hot pursuit. I just make them out. Yes, yes, here to save the day from the Cult Film Club podcast. It's Sean Heart of Thunder Robert and Paxton Break the Ice Holly. Dudes, thanks for showing up. <laughs> Thanks for having us, Adam. <laughs> I was thoroughly entertained with that intro. Yeah, I was, gonna say, I, was, I was wondering if you could put any more references to the movie. <laughs> uh, yeah, I know. Blow my wad up, Tom. That's all I got. Okay, well, uh, I'm just going to ass slide into this there. Okay, now we're done. I was going to say, like, I skittered up on my mongoose and threw newspapers in you guys' hands and knocked out your microphones. I mean, that, that was my intro. <laughs> And you did it all before 6.30 a.m. You guys are pros, and that's why we had to bring you in. Yes, Jeff and Jeremy couldn't make it tonight, although Jeff did want to talk about Rad, so maybe one of these days we can bring him on, get a, a follow-up commentary. But there are some films of the 80s that are cult classics. That's what Sean and Pax and Jamie focus on with the Cult Film Club podcast. If you're not listening to it, get on it. It's so much fun. But this is one of those films I feel like is almost, there's cult and then there's like, this is deep in the back room because never officially got a release. You still can't officially buy any form of media to see it. Rad from 1986, starring Bill Allen, Lori Laughlin, Talia Shire, Ray Walston, Jack Weston. Hey, and Bart Connor. <laughs> yeah, directed by Hal Needham. So, guys, you have talked about this not only on Cult Film Club, but on blogs, and there's been just so, all sorts of fan art and projects you've put together. Let's talk about it. Sean, what is your connection and history with Rad? Uh, I'm not sure if I can necessarily pinpoint an exact moment or anything like that, but it's there's just something about that film that just squarely hit me in my chest. Like, I loved the whole um, skateboarding BMX surfing scene in the 80s. Um, I was a total poser, but, you know, I was wearing all the town and country shirts and the Maui surf shorts and all that kind of stuff. So there wasn't many films that kind of like 100% played to that. There was there was a handful. And so I ended up falling in love with the three big ones, North Shore, Thrashin' and Rad. 
And Rad in particular, I don't know, it just really struck with me. It's There's something about that movie that it's so earnest. And it's got some great music. And like I said, it just it squarely hit me in the chest. So it's just one of those films that uh, I've constantly rewatched on HBO or rented on VHS. I mean, there was a moment where um, I wanted to buy the VHS. Like, I think uh, my family got a VCR around 1987, and I, I kind of obsessed over owning a copy of it, but it was at a time when um, video stores only sold the movies that they bought from distributors, which were like, you know, $100, $120 a piece. So it was like they were quoting like $90 or something like that to bring their copy home. So... I don't know. I think maybe the fact that I didn't get that VHS just made it even more kind of like mystic and epic in my fandom as a kid. <laughs> I can imagine. Yeah. How about for you, Pax? I, mean, I remember this coming out. I remember the the awesome poster was the main thing I remember um, with the uh, the hyper colors and, and uh, I just thought it looked cool, but I never got to see it. I remember on an HBO and I think I saw like a couple scenes from the Hell Track sequence at the end, um, but like I just never actually sat down and watched it beginning to end until we did it on the show on the uh, film club. Um, and I, and to this day, I regret that because the movie is awesome and I've seen it a couple of times since. And, uh, like, it's just, it hits every note, you know, like karate kid with BMX bikes, you know, it's like that formula, like Sean said, it's super earnest. And so like, it's, there may be some kind of silly eye rolling moments, but they play it so earnestly that it, it just wins you over. Like Sean said, like he was skating or bike culture i like surf bike culture so i was like bmx and surfing was my whole thing coming up through junior high and and high school so like i was wearing those kind of shirts and i had a puffy pro thunder three and um took off the chain guard and everything so i so i i totally posed trying to do that as well but i never rode it on a track or anything like that i'm really surprised i that this movie didn't catch on with me earlier than it did because I mean, even watching it now I loved it and knowing that if I had watched it then I would have loved it like even more yeah I mean I'm right there with you too this is one that I honestly had no knowledge of until cult film club and and you know visiting Sean's site and seeing tweets that could, would come out every once in a while like I don't know how this escaped my view for so long because you know my friends and family are just like why are you obsessed with the 80s you know like <laughs> and, and you would think you know I'm always buying VHS tapes and all these things and people are like why are you still doing that and so this just seems like something that somehow even though I really I lived at the video rental store in the 80s and 90s and the fact that I never came across it on shelves or somehow pass it over like you said Pax that poster is so eye catching you yeah. know but at the same time I also never saw thrashing gleaming the cube which they actually filmed in my hometown and then BMX bandits like all of those I missed somehow until now two months ago a slick bootleg appeared at my local library and I was thrilled I was like it's wow. that special edition and I'm like <laughs> what rad and uh, I, I'm convinced I'm the only one who is renting it on a regular basis now but <laughs> and I literally talked to the librarian I'm like who's in charge of your ordering because I need to give them a high five <laughs> but my connection to BMX biking back then was also somewhat limited, I would say, because I grew up in suburban California. I was in a neighborhood where skater culture was the driving force, you know, so it was guys like Tony Hawk and the Bones Brigade, just that whole crew. It, it wasn't BMX biking out in the dirt somewhere. Uh, although we did have a BMX an exhibition, a team came in, set up on 
our basketball court when I was in elementary school. And I remember just being amazed by that, but it didn't catch on with anybody. So it wasn't like now all the kids at school were doing VMX biking like that usually is what happens. <laughs> yeah. The fad did not catch on. And so the only other place I was seeing it, and I know you guys have seen this, which is mostly in Marvel Comics, there was this ad for Jolly Ranchers. It had the Murray BMX racing team. Like, yes. Always seeing that. I'm like, they look so cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's, a, there's uh, an, ed, uh, an Eddie Feel uh, a GT ad that I think popped up in a bunch of comics too that uh, he, he's like the guy in this movie that does all the stunts for crew and um uh, Lori Laughlin's character Christian so yeah it, you know it, I, I think with uh BMX and stuff like the barrier to entry for that is much higher than it was for skating so you know if you had some parents with like slightly deep pockets or something like that that would be able to to pick up a you know a better more BMX trick you know uh, set up bike the kinds where you could like spin the handlebar 360 without having to worry about the brake lines and all that kind of stuff then, then, you know, that's awesome. But I think it was much more common for, like, you know, parents to pop for a skateboard and maybe, like, you know, like a lower-end bike or something like that. So I can see that kind of being, like, a, a fandom that was a little bit harder to kind of break into. I mean, that's true. Even with, even with like, the you know, the surfing. I mean, especially in landlocked Alabama. You know, I was all, I was all in love with that culture. Um, and we went to the beach. We went to Myrtle Beach every year. So I, I would re-up my love every time we went there. But, you know, I'm in Birmingham, Alabama. And, like, I, I could buy the TNC shirts. I could get the jams and the sun britches bathing suits. Um, but that, that's all I could do. It's like I can't surf anywhere. There's nothing I can do. So I could just, I could just hang out with the long hair and the surf clothes. And that's about it. I was going to say, at some point on CFC, we're going to cover a movie called North Shore. And that has an answer in it for what you can do if you lived in a landlocked area and you need to surf. Well, I was going to say, that. Well, in air, Airborne, too, <laughs> you know, in the, the main character in Airborne does, he just puts a surfboard on a bed. And yeah, he's yeah. like doing a little bit of, you know, he's, he's riding the waves on the bed. So, you know, whatever it takes, whatever you got to do. But like you guys said, the the earnestness of this film, really the cast of this film is pretty impressive for a movie that, as far as a release in theaters, was very, very limited. And like you said, was more of a VHS red pillar cable situation for most people. In fact, my library copy, it has these pop-ups that come up like it was shown on cable TV and somebody just <laughs> recorded it off yeah, TV. I, yeah. have, I think I have a copy of that bootleg because there's like a... Uh, there's a copy that's circulating right now that's got this specific kind of Divic HX DVD uh, thing that pops up in the corner where it was displayed on an HD cable channel. And it's uh, it's a great copy, which is awesome. Is, because yeah. The movie's actually being held hostage by Tyler Shire. She was the main producer on the film, and uh, her and her husband. And um, yeah, she hates this movie. Oh, man. Which really sucks because she's like the, the, the thing that's keeping it from being released. It seems like it would. she had a kid that was into BMX racing, so that's why she would produce or even be in the film, you would think, right? Oh, like, yeah, why that, was she involved? Well, that, that <laughs> was actually the case. Um, her, you know, her son is um, Jason Schwartzman, and he was on the set and riding his bike around and all that kind of stuff. I don't think he made it into the actual film, but I, I think it's more along the lines of um, there was a script that was floating around that they were that they had optioned or something like that. They were looking to brand out into production and uh somehow or another they knew Hal Needham and it just kind of all gelled together but yeah I don't know I, I don't know why she's sort of like uh disowned this movie afterwards and just just kind of sitting on the rights which is I don't know it's just sad I know there's like a, a 
crap ton. Like, all the actors from the film want this released, and they can't get copies of it. So it's pretty yeah. sad. Yeah. Let, let's talk a little bit about this, too, because obviously you're, you're just like with Monster Squad, you know, you uh, your fandom, you know, can go beyond just enjoying watching the film every once in a while. So what where has that taken you thus far? Who have you reached out to? What have you created that is rad-based? So, I mean, I, I personally created a set of trading cards. Uh, for the film that I, I just felt like it was something that needed to be out there since this movie has like zero merchandising and believe it or not I don't I'm trying to remember exactly how this came about but um, somehow or another Bill Allen got into contact with me around the time just coincidentally around the time we were considering doing rad on CFC I think I had maybe like reached out to him at some point about like getting an autographed photo or something like that and I used to I used to follow his website back in the day when he had like a an old school like uh, GeoCities type website <laughs> and, Angel Fire right exactly yeah. and um he, well, he was he was one of the the few guys that was kind of keeping the <laughs> stoking the flames of the movie right. in, in the <laughs> 90s and the early 2000s yeah he kind of reached out to me and we just kind of thought you know hey like what about getting you on the cult film club so he, he was actually our first uh like interview with a with an actor on the show which was really fun i was nervous as hell um, <laughs> when we sat down to talk to him it's a great interview though he say, sounds like such a nice guy yeah he no was. he's a he's a sweetheart um yeah he also uh, wrote a book like a like a autobiography around that time so it, it just all kind of worked out and um between doing the trading card set and that i think i have like I think I've managed to like reach out and kind of like mildly chat with um, Bart Connor and um, the kid that plays Mophead, the little uh, ginger in the movie with like the the red fro. <laughs> he's actually still like heavily into biking these days, and he does a lot of charity work. Um, he's he's a really swell dude. Um, but yeah, I think those are the three main them and uh, Bill Allen. And um, I think I've talked to Eddie Fiola a little bit here and there, but. Yeah, mo- most of the people that worked on the film are, are really nice, really sweet. I've heard that like if you reach out to Lori Laughlin, she's more than happy to sign rad merchandise and stuff like that. Like that's great. I gotta make my Bart Connor connection known. It's kind of like Seven Degrees of Bart Connor. But uh, so for those who don't know, Bart Connor plays you know the hot star, the blonde kid with the bad attitude, and he got the part because he was an Olympian. Uh, he was on the Olympian gymnastics team for the U.S. in 1984. He was not an actor. He was not a BMX biker. But they put him in there. And in my hometown growing up, one of his teammates, Peter Vidmar, who was also on that team, was always doing motivational speeches, which usually included a backflip and a couple other, you know, pieces of his floor routine, you know. And so when I when I found that out about Bart Connor, I was like, that's so crazy. He knows Peter Vidmar. So technically, I have a connection to Bart Connor. Nice. It's just like the weird way I'm technically technically related to weird al which he's like my <laughs> my sister-in-law's brother-in-law's cousin is how i'm related to weird al so <laughs> many many degrees there but yeah i was just like that's cool but let's i'm gonna give a very very brief synopsis that i just want to hear from you guys like if there's the moment that you say you know what this is rad like if you single out one seed or one line you know just whatever comes to mind but for those who have not seen this film here we go when a big time bmx promoter brings hell track to a small town, Crew Jones is determined to beat current superstar Bart Allen and make a name for himself by beating the odds while showing his prowess on the track and the dance floor. 
<laughs> so Pax for you now that you've been introduced to the film now you said you've seen it a few times you've sat with it where do you go to when you think of this film how do you pitch it to other people you gotta see this because I feel like I, it depends on the person how I pitch it to them I mean I'll, probably the most often if I'm talking to someone about it I'm, I use the Karate Kid formula reference it's like you know one of those sportsploitation movies that you know it uses kind of the Karate Kid thing kind of rags to riches beating the beating the man kind of like thing and, and there's a Johnny connection with the with the guy from with Bart, like you said. So I mean, that's usually uh, the more the most common way I pitch it to other people. Like I'll do certain scenes, like I'll say, like you've got to see the dance scene where they're dancing on their bikes, or you got to see this hell track at the end with the giant kicks bowl. It's amazing. I'm either comparing it to something they know, or I'm telling them the kind of craziest parts that they really just got to see. And this film does have many crazy moments. Yes, dancing on bikes is correct. Uh, what about for you, Sean? I mean, I would be put in a movie jail if I didn't bring up the bike dance every single time I tried to <laughs> sell someone on Rad. I mean, real life send me an angel plus Lori Laughlin plus Bill Allen, like literally <laughs> dancing on bikes and doing tricks is in slow motion for half of it, which is just majestic. Yeah, there's that. And I think the other thing that, that I that I tend to bring up is that because I'm so into the 80s and I love 80s movies, this one is like it hits every single like 80s stereotype. There's so much stuff in the backgrounds that is just so unbelievably 80s. If it's not the GT bikes and all the, you know, the different uh, BMX guys at the end of the movie it's like little things like there's a scene in a drugstore where there's like a comic rack that's probably the best comic rack i've ever seen in oh movie. it's amazing it's yeah got like 40 different issues of, of magazines that are easy to pick out and look at and so there's like there's stuff like that peppered all throughout the film that is just like so badass and you can say like you know if you loved fast times at ridgemont high and you wanted to see uh, ray walston and something else that isn't my favorite martian then you know, this is the movie to check out, you know, that kind of stuff. It's like, there's all these little, little things that all point, you know, like kind of point out. Now the, the other big claim to fame, I feel like this movie has for a very brief scene and a very odd, I guess, I don't know, you declaration of an activity is this thing called ass sliding. Yeah. All sliding doesn't pretty much fall into that category. I mean, <laughs> it's, it's, it's very odd. They're on a water slide in all of their clothes and they're sliding down this concrete tube, you know, half a tube into a river. And that, and he calls that ass sliding. And I feel bad taking that away from this small Canadian town who are probably very <laughs> proud of it. Bill Allen, very excited by it. I'm like, this is our activity. This is what we do here. I think um, it was just that way of like really setting it and kind of like that. This is literally the coolest thing that they can think of to do is sliding down <laughs> a chunk of concrete into freezing cold water. It's like, yeah, yeah, that's what our town's good for. Oh, it's, it's just funny. It's like, I mean, I, I totally get that, you know, like a little small town like that would have something like that to do. And but it's sliding. I mean, it's just funny that they call it ass sliding. Yeah, it's just sliding. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you're just sliding. I mean, that's all you're doing. Now, the one other cast member that excites me quite a bit, obviously, I do a sequel based podcast. I love sequels. Seeing Jack Weston in this film, I love Short Circuit 2 way more than the original. You can go back to our archives and find our Short Circuit 3 episode but he is such a unique bad guy he's got a lisp he's got his jowly face jack weston it's like just a great creepy bad guy but he plays also that kind of that corporate villain in this which is so wonderful like again just we go back to the 80s tropes you know that evil businessman you know you gotta have <laughs> i also love the fact that they picked a real bike company for him to represent yeah, <laughs> what were you doing i mean on the one hand it's like yeah we got our name 
women here. And on the other hand, it's like, yeah, your CEO is a total, total drunk. <laughs> well, I feel like the whole way this movie must have gotten like financed or pulled in, like if Hal Needham was attached to direct and they're like, you mean the guy who did Smokey and the Bandit? That had to be why everybody said yes, don't you think? Because otherwise, why would they be in this kid's BMX film? It seems odd to me. Totally I guess nice. Talia Shire probably called in a couple of favors too. But yeah, my question is, why wasn't Burt Reynolds the evil BMX bike owner? <laughs> Since he's pretty totally. much in every other Hal Needham movie. Yeah. I do also like the fact that if you really look at it, though, Crew, I, I feel like he has like BMX Asperger's or something because he doesn't realize that riding your bike everywhere and doing tricks just in society is not normal. Like to him, it's literally like walking. And it's weird that BMX is so huge in this town, supposedly, just like, you know, the All Valley Karate Tournament. You know, yet that girl turns him down for the dance. Shouldn't he be the coolest kid in school <laughs> because he does BMX if everybody loves it so much? Like, I don't know. It's some odd plot holes there. It is kind of weird. You know what? Some people just know what they're good at, and he knows that he's good at doing one thing, and that's riding <laughs> that bike. <laughs> and that's what, but he doesn't like advertise it, right? So it doesn't seem like a lot of people at first really know he's that good. They just know he's riding his bike everywhere. Right. So I mean, it's like he's that weird kid that rides his bike everywhere. Right. And, through uh, your store, through uh, your backyard. Yeah, like. exactly. <laughs> Jumping over cans and hitting ramps behind bushes and stuff like that. So, I mean. But he got to love him. He sets goals. He, he wants to complete his route in a reasonable amount of time. Like, I don't know. It's just, that's so funny to me that that's his goal, right? It's the, what, to shave 15 <laughs> minutes off his, his delivery time. Yeah. But he's great. I love Bill Allen in this movie. He's just, yeah, he's, and he also comes from that school of, you know, in the 80s, you didn't have to have perfect teeth. You didn't have to look just right. You know, he's just like, he looks like a real dude. Yeah, he does. Okay. Now, uh, the last thing I thought we'd touch on before we get into the pitches is the soundtrack is amazing. And Sean, I know you've uh, done some work. If people want to check out Sean's uh, Branded in the 80s podcast, uh, there was an episode where he did a deep dive on basically the main theme you hear at every racing scene. What can you tell us about that, Sean? Yeah, it's um, it's a crazy song uh, performed by John Farnham in the movie. Yeah, Thunder in Your Heart. For 80s anthems, there's, you know, like so many people go to uh, Joe Esposito with You're the Best and Karate Kid. And don't get me wrong, that song is badass. But for my money, 80s anthems live and die on John Farnham. And it's two of the songs in this movie. It's Thunder in Your Heart and um, Break the Ice. But yeah, no, uh, Thunder in Your Heart, it's an amazing anthem. And I just happened to, on a trip down to Myrtle Beach with my wife, we just happened to be like pulling it up on Spotify because we were in the last leg of the trip and we were about to get to uh, the house that we were running down there. And we just wanted something to just really get us pumped up and excited for the vacation. So uh, immediately I you know, suggested we go to the Rad soundtrack. And while we were looking for the song, we just happened to notice that there were three entries for the song in Spotify. And not only did John Farnham perform it, which is the one that I have only ever been aware of, but we also saw that Joe Esposito performed a version of it, again, from, you know, You're the Best from Karate Kid fame. And um, Stan Bush who's huge from the Transformers the movie soundtrack for like The Touch. Again, another huge 80s anthem thing. And like my mind was exploding at this part because I was just like, (laughs) how is it possible that like three of the best 80s anthem singers had all performed this same song? And it 
it actually kind of uh, brought up a mystery as like to who performed it first. So yeah, I, I got like weird kind of OCD on this and I, I started digging and I, I found the two people that wrote the song and I reached out to them and I had some chats with them and I, I found out basically that I think Joe Esposito recorded it first. It was for Karate Kid, but it got rejected. So then they went and um, had it re-recorded with John Farnham for Rad. <laughs> sort of just like a, we got to do something with this song. <laughs> it's too great not to be heard. <laughs> it's exactly. Right. Too sure. awesome not to be in something. I don't know. It's just it's just a fun song. It's just crazy and over the top and very much, very much at the time. Now, the other thing that you guys are involved in is the world of movie novelizations. Is there a movie novelization floating around somewhere? <laughs> no. Uh, uh. Not enough. They didn't do enough merchandising. But I know, I think, Sean, have you talked about actually trying to write one for this? I, I have. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've actually I've, I've put like a couple chapters together where I, I sat and watched the movie and tried to see what I would do differently. Oh, <laughs> that would add be some great. flavor to it. Like I wanna, I don't just want to write this. I want to like George Gipe this movie. I want to spin to it. It's going to be a cutscene between Mophead and Wesley. I don't know if you guys have ever seen this. You're probably so close to the movie at this point, maybe not. But the twins in this film—they are amazing. The fun fact I heard is those jumpsuits they wear in the dance scene came from the set of the V TV show, yeah. which was, the minute I saw him, I was like, that that has to be like a sci-fi, you know, wardrobe that they borrowed. But I don't know if you guys, their faces look like garbage pail kid faces from garbage pail kids, <laughs> the movie. Look, look at them and put them next to foul Phil or greaser Greg. And you're like, what? Like yeah. just their dimples <laughs> and everything. Like we're going to do a photo comparison. We'll put it up on the Twitter for everybody to see, but it, it is so odd. So if you, could somehow mix that they're just like garbage pail kids just cross over some universes there that'd be awesome <laughs> you know you know what's really crazy is you know they were they were cast obviously because they're some hot looking twins and you know i'm sure they were trying to make it in hollywood at the time but did you know that they went on to become the guys that wrote the, the conjuring movie and like they're sort of at this little mini horror empire right now between all the conjuring sequels spinoffs and stuff <laughs> That's great. Yeah, yeah. And you can fight. You can't get work as twins for too long. So, you know. Exactly. Like, there's only so yeah. much uh, simultaneous dancing that you can do. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> totally. All right. Well, now that we've kind of dug into the movie, I feel like you got to say to yourself, okay, where would they take this? And we know Bill Allen would be on board. Uh, the question is, are we taking it from 1986 now to 1988? Are we doing this modern day? What are the potential your directions for rad two so pax why don't you start us off so real fast my process normally like what i always want to do is do modern day sequels and just have everyone come revisit their roles so like i kind of went down this is not my pitch but i the way i was going was uh bill allen and Lori laughlin would return to their roles um i think i was calling it rad racing um they're like the elder statesman of uh, BMX now, like Christian was going to be like the CEO of the company and uh, Bill Allen was going to be the coach. And it was going to be a whole thing with their son who doesn't want anything to do with bicycling. It's going to be, it was more of like a father-son drama kind of taking place with Rad Race, like in the BMX competition world. And uh, like, I, I like that idea and I think that would work. The problem is I don't want that in a Rad sequel right now. So <laughs> uh, like when I got through with it, I was like, I like it, I, but that's not what I want. That's not what I come out of the other end really 
wanting in a rad sequel. So I started going into my pitch and it, it kind of blew up on me. I kind of pulled a CT on this one and uh, I mean, like went several days and like I was getting like this creative explosion. And so uh, I kind of blew up into back to back sequels for my follow up to the original rad and they're of the time. So this is not a modern sequel. This would happen uh, right after the original movie. So for my first sequel, I have it taking place like in 87, 88. And uh, I say a year or so after the first movie, uh, the Rad Racing Team is uh, one of the top racing teams in the country. They're invited on a tour of European bike tracks. So they go over to Europe and uh, start riding these tracks. They make public appearances. They're competing in international BMX competitions. You know, it's kind of like a Euro trip kind of a thing. They're all over there. They're seeing the sights. You see all the the normal sights you see in, in something like a European vacation, you know, like all these sites that are famous to everyone from, from Europe. And while they're over there, they are, of course, challenged by the reigning European champion team that is as ruthless off the track as they are on the track. Um <laughs> We'll get a new cool roster of uh, foreign racers and lots of international hijinks. I can imagine something like riding bikes on the Eiffel Tower or over the Berlin Wall, uh, since this is 8788. I imagine maybe like in Germany, they uh, come across a beer festival and groups of German people in Lederhosen dancing around in a town square, which would be the perfect chance for the team to jump on their bikes and start bike dancing in the middle of the beer <laughs> festival. I'm looking at like very similar tone to the first movie, a lot of fun hijinks and just the kids being international stars over in Europe. You've got that stereotypical European bike team that's foreign and just you don't like them. You, there's, you've loved to hate them. I didn't have Hal Needham directing this. I wanted someone else. So I picked Stephen Herrick, who did Bill and Ted, uh, the nice. first Bill and Ted and Mighty Ducks and Disney's Three Musketeers. I kind of like his aesthetic and uh, I think he could pull it off pretty well. In my head, the European BMX team would be filled with actual pros and celebrities at the time. Uh, I was trying to think of like an actual actor that would be the leader. I was looking at like 87, 88, like an actor that could work. I was thinking Eric Stoltz would be kind of good. Um, he'd have to mm. feign an accent, but he was about the right age comparing it to uh, Bill Allen's age at the time. I also thought another good person on the team to be a bully would be uh, Tom Hodges, which uh, you, could, you can Google him, but you'll know him as soon as you see him. He played bullies in like Lucas and Revenge of the Nerds 2. He's the blonde guy. Kind of a hulking yeah. guy, yeah. So I, I figured he'd be a pretty good one, too. I, I don't know how well he would do a foreign bully, but, uh, you know, it's it's acting. Figure it he, out. Yeah, he can totally pull <laughs> off the, uh, the Aryan-German. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, I, I think I think that would be fun. So, the, the I, in my head, the ones that are returning, Bill Allen, Lori Loughlin return. Um, I did not actually have Bart returning for this movie. I was debating about, it. is there going to be a throwaway mention? Like, maybe he stayed, like, a, maybe a contingent of Rad Racing stayed back with him to, do, to continue continue racing tournaments or something, but I didn't imagine that he would return for this. It would mainly be crew and Christian and a bunch of new racer, like maybe get some of the pros back and maybe a couple other new people to kind of fill out the roster for this one. I really wanted to go with these, when we go titles for these sequels, we always want to subtitle them. And I was like, I just want to go Rad 2, but <laughs> but uh, I couldn't resist. And I did Rad 2 European Crew is, uh, <laughs> is my name for this second one so that's the first one and uh, in my head it does really well because i think that sounds like a pretty awesome movie um and i would love to watch that right now so they they film these back to back i imagine this third movie is going to come out in about 1990 so we're edging the end of the 80s here so it's bumping up against the time for something like this i'll go ahead and give you the title up front the title of this third one is going to be called rad three thunder in your heart yeah so this movie is another year or two after european crew i have it opening up with a bunch of montage racing scenes and we see crew 
crew winning race after race, Rad, Rad Racing's, you know, winning these tournaments. Um, they're holding up trophy after trophy. BMX Racing Magazine's covers are flying across and newspapers. It's, it's going to make it look like BMX is like the most favorite sport <laughs> in America. So like all these newspapers and magazines are going are going across saying how good uh, crew is. And, you know, he's at the top of his game and he's winning all these trophies. They're calling him the best racers in the world. And Rad Racing is... It's become a business now, and uh, their business managers and publicists always hanging around the team, booking appearances. Crew is the obviously the face of Rad Racing, so he's always the one. Uh, it's on his shoulders to do the public appearances and the photo shoots and all that. They set up kind of crazy stunts, like <laughs> so, like the Rad Racing team would run a dirt track uh, in a race against like dirt bikes. You know, something just stupid and ridiculous. It's like, <laughs> why do we have these people running Rad Racing? Because this makes no sense. So we get a B plot here about uh, we see a kid watching crew win, watching him win all these trophies. We see him uh, go back to his home on this grungy kit bash bike. He's jumping off cars, flipping walls. He's clearly got talent and drive. His name's going to be Torque. I didn't come up with much else. Torque Jackson or Torque Johnson, something like that. <laughs> so we see him kind of interspersed with uh, the goings on of rad racing. So crew, we go back to crew. He's feeling like racing and touring is becoming a grind. He's starting to believe the hype about being the best racer in, like not only in the country, but in the world since they had just come back from Europe and they won all those races. Um, he, st he starts to stop training as hard as he was doing. He's instead of hitting the track, he's going to photo shoots, autograph signings, maybe going off to a celebrity party somewhere. Christian is constantly trying to ground him and bring him back and say like, you need to get back to racing. We need to go out and hit the track. We need to stay sharp saying, stop listening to these business managers and get back to what you love doing. And that's racing on the track. After one of their big wins, uh, Torque confronts crew as he's you know, being honored by someone and uh, challenges him to a race. So crew accepts the challenge, you know, thinking he's invincible and continues to believe this kid is not going to be as good as he is. And so he doesn't train very hard for the race. So crew loses the challenge and is just sent on a spiral downward. Everything he thought before is just crashing down around him. So he goes off, you know, he rides off into the sunset, you know, he's going back to maybe his hometown or something, or he goes back, you know, he's just kind of lost. He doesn't know what to do. Thanks, Montage. Yep, exactly. <laughs> so at this lowest point, he's approached by his former teammate and friend, Bart Taylor. So this is where Bart comes back in. This is part of the reason why I didn't have him in the last movie. Bart has crew, like, what are you doing? But the guy that that raced Torque was not the guy that beat me at Hell Track. And it's like, where is that guy? And it's like, if you want to beat Torque, you've got to find that guy again, and I'm going to help you do it. So he and Bart start training, and crew goes to the newly minted celebrity Torque, who's now famous for beating crew and reverses the tables and, and challenges Torque to a rematch. Torque laughs and says, I'll bury you any place, anywhere. And crew answers, good, because you're going to have to do it at health track. So everything, the climax, everything goes back to health track and they have the big race at health track and then crew wins his uh, dignity back and uh, Bart, he's reunited with Bart and uh, Rad Racing goes back to being them only and the business managers are all fired and everything at the end. Uh, love it. Rocky <laughs> 3, Mighty Ducks 2, yes. in the universe of Rad. Oh, it's perfect. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of what that was. I, I, that's what I kind of wanted, why it turned into two sequels is because I, I felt like there was the three acts thing so you know he had to be built up into two so i can break him back down in three to to come out at the oh. end and kind of kind of be good so i still considered like herrick coming back to direct this one as well another option i thought was paul michael glaser who did running man and cutting edge so i, I thought that would be i was trying to come up i tried to come up with so everyone's coming back uh, we got bart back i was trying to come up with a torque um, so this was 1990. The best person I could come up with for me was Alfonso Ribeiro. Uh, this oh. would have been 1990 would have been right before he started Fresh Prince. 
Mm. Uh, see, I thought you were going to go like River Phoenix or something. So that's cool. Yeah. yeah. Alfonso, I like yeah. That. In my head, for some reason, Torque is a black kid, was a black kid. Yeah. And, uh, so that's why I was looking for. And I'm like, wow, there's there's really hard to find a good, perfect age black kid for a 1990 movie. And I just was going through stuff and I was like, oh, Alfonso Ribeiro. And I checked his age and it was all right there. And it was right before Fresh Prince. So we didn't have the Carlton kind of thing going for him yet or anything. So cool. All right, Chad, what do you got? All right, so last time I was on the show, I felt a little bit unprepared for what the show was. Uh, I thought I had prepared, but I, I did, like, when we did the Monster Squad episode, like, my pitch, like, paled in comparison <laughs> to what you came up with. So this time I pulled out all the stops. All right. <laughs> I, have a, I have a much more thorough pitch. And this is going to come probably to no surprises, Pax, because um, we've actually, this is one of the things we did when we first started like uh, talking. We, uh, we had this little uh, cross blog thing that we did. So, okay. <laughs> the name of my movie would be called X. It would be a sequel to Rad, but it's also going to be a sequel to Thrashin and North Shore. So, again, these movies to me are, like, tied together, like, in a spiritual trilogy because they cover, like, the the main, like, BMX surfing and skating at the time. And they all have kind of very similar stories. And when I was thinking about what I wanted to do for a sequel to Rad, I couldn't help but keep going to, like, it would be so cool if the world could just get bigger than just what was going on with Crew and his stuff and, like, just took over all this other kind of, like, extreme sport kind of stuff. So... Set seven years after the end of Rad, the film centers on Crew Jones seeking to take BMX to the next level. After taking the win at Helltrack, Crew has been entering as many BMX events as he can, looking to prove that he has what it takes to be the best. Rad Racing has been growing with leaps and bounds, signing big-name riders like Eddie Fiola and Martin Aparijo, while also striking a deal with a legendary extreme sports brand, Town & Country, to bring BMX into the fold of that company, because it was always surf and skate. So I'm imagining like another mascot that's sort of maybe based on the Rad Racing mascot that gets like a, a an animal character kind of makeover to be with like Thrilla Gorilla and Cool Cat and stuff like that. So at a BMX freestyle event being held in LA, crew while performing with his longtime girlfriend christian holland he decides in the middle of their little thing that they're doing to propose to christian while they're bunny hopping and showing off their moves this whole scene is set to aha's take on me so it's very (laughs) much reminiscent of the uh the real life from the first movie um but in a stunning upset christian doesn't accept the proposal and in fact she pulls crew aside after the little thing ends and says that over the last few years that she and Bart have sort of fallen back in love as he's sort of become a good guy again and sort of found himself, and that they've decided that they're going to leave the Rad Racing team. So heartbroken, Crew does the only thing he knows how to do, which is ride his bike. And this starts the first of many montages in this film, the (laughs) earnest Shattered Hearts montage set to the John Farnham song of that same name, where Crew bitterly BMXs all of LA. <laughs> so uh, while he's out emo biking, Crew ends up bumping into Corey Webster, the main character and hero from Thrashin', quite literally, as he comes over this uh, this little like cliff into the valley, like over by where the uh, the beach is and stuff. He literally like collides straight with Corey when Corey's doing like a hand plan on a little uh, ramp or something like that. And as they're helping themselves up, you know, and dusting themselves off, they they like start talking and they they become fast friends, regaling each other with stories about their respective careers and how they ended up where they are. And after hanging out for an afternoon and sharing some hot dog on the sticks and strolling near the shore, we learn that things haven't been growing all that hot for Corey either. 
After he won the LA downhill and uh, the girl of his dreams, Chrissy, decided she just didn't want to uh, stay in LA. She wanted to leave. And Webster was scammed by Sam Flood, who was like sort of um, propping him up in that movie and giving him a uh, promotion and stuff. So he took all the, the profits from his skating contract and all that stuff. So he's basically left with nothing. He's sad and distraught since Chrissy left, and all of his friends kind of either went off to college or Radley ended up in jail. So it's just, it's just it hasn't been that great, and Corey's been kind of looking for, like, the next big thing in skating. And so, like, when Crew's been looking to, like, take BMX to the next level, Corey was trying to look for that next big thing in skating. And the two decide to, like, start brainstorming ideas, and basically they come up with this same eureka moment at the same time, which is, instead of just trying to find the next big race or tournament, they should start their own. Except they want to make it so big and gnarly that the whole world will be blown away and have to take notice. And since the Olympic Games don't recognize extreme sports and never had those in the events, that they're going to create their own set of games specifically geared toward like BMX and skating and rollerblading and surfing, and they decide to call it the Extreme Olympics. But while they're solidifying their idea, they, they decide that they need a badass surfer to get input into that world because they don't really have any experience with that stuff. And it just so happens that Corey knows a guy. And the guy he knows is Rick Kane, who's uh, back in Arizona after his uh, bonsai pipeline win over in Hawaii. Um, that's from the movie North Shore. <laughs> um, so uh, Rick didn't win his uh, competition like the other two guys did, but he did make it into all the local papers and some of the LA papers because the guy that he was surfing against, Lance Burkhart, totally snaked his leash and it became this big sort of controversy thing. And so he's sort of almost as famous as the other two, but, you know, as famous as you can be for winning Helltrack in, in an L.A. downhill. So they fly out to Arizona and they pitch this idea to Rick and he's totally on board. So they pick him up and they fly back to L.A. And on the flight there, so I don't know if you guys have seen North Shore, but uh, Rick Kane in that uh, movie is like a young surfer guy, but he's also like uh, into graphic design and art. So he sort of doesn't know what he wants to do with his life, and he thinks he just wants to surf forever, but he knows that he can't make money at it or whatever, so he, he's also doing some graphic design on the side. And so like on the flight back, he takes their idea for the Extreme Olympics and then decides to rebrand it into something more edgy, and this is the fictionalized birth of the X Games, which is an idea <laughs> that he comes up with to make it just a little bit cooler. <laughs> All right, so this is getting ridiculous and silly, but no. So this this it's exactly the amount of ridiculous and silly it needs to be. Absolutely. Okay. Uh, so this goes into the second montage sequence, which follows Crew, Corey, and Rick as they gear up for the first X Games. T-shirts are being made, rad racing style. There's handshake deals with sponsors like TNC, GT, and Powell Peralta and stuff. You'd see like plans for track designs flashing across the screen, potential locations that they can hold the games, calling out to TV networks and all this stuff, and it's all set to a John Farnham song called Picking Up the Pieces. The three decide that the first X Games should be held in Sydney, Australia, something that's international, has a great surfing location, and plenty of land where they can build racetracks and skate parks, all the stuff that they'll need. And then they also decide that if they're going to make a go of this, that they might as well compete themselves. So they put out the call for all the best skaters, surfers, and BMX pros in the world to come to Sydney. And the response is massive, as like athletes from all over the globe decide to descend on the city. So I decided it would be really cool to have like a bunch of like actual real-life luminaries from the sports. So like Tony Hawk would be there playing himself, and Mike McGill, and Rodney Mullen, all the Pau Peralta guys. Then you'd also have like uh, the surfer uh, Kelly Slater. 
um, uh, Rel's son from Hawaii would come to be a female surfer that would want to um, compete, like, sort of in the tail end of her career. Was Laird Hamilton competing? So he would, but Laird Hamilton actually plays Lance Burkhart uh, North Shore. So oh, kinda, I forgot about that. That's right. Yeah, so he's kind of he's kind of out of this. But like you'd have like Eddie Fiola and Hollywood Mike Miranda would have to make an appearance. And yes. uh, Jose Yanez, who's the guy who actually does the 360 flip in Rad. He's the, the, the only guy that could do that at the time. He'd be there as himself. But at the same time, I also want to bring in a bunch of fictional characters from all over the world. So like Nicole Kidman w- would show up as her character from uh, BMX Bandits to, to, to <laughs> be in the BMX section. You'd have Brian Kelly from Gleaming the Cube uh, come out. Uh, Jeff Spicoli from Fast Times at Ridgemont High would be in the surfing competition. <laughs> wow, perfect. And then there would also be like I, I just thought it would be fun because like I have this set like in 1993 ish that if Mitchell Gusson and uh, yeah. Riley from Airborne. Uh, and Seth Green would show up, and yes. of course uh, the Reynolds twins, Rod and Rex, would show up. So it's like it's like a whole like there'd be a huge montage of like people signing up and like starting to do like you know preliminary events and qualifiers and stuff like that. But at the very end, the, and the most important people that are going to enter this contest are three men: Tommy Hook, who was played by Robert Ressler, is a villain in Thrashin'. Bart Taylor would show back up, and Lance Burkhart from North Shore. So they would be like a showdown again with all the people that are sort of the nemesises of our three heroes. So basically, um, as they go into the final section of the movie, it would be the X Games proper, sort of like the, the karate tournament in Karate Kid. And it would just be, you know, whether or not Crew, Corey, and Rick could all beat Tommy, Bart, and Lance again one more time to prove that they're the best of the best. And so I made some notes about some other stuff that I'd want in the film, but there'd definitely be some more people that would pop up, like uh, John Philobin, who played Turtle in North Shore, uh, he'd show up. Gregory Harrison, who played Chandler, sort of the Mr. Miyagi in North Shore, he'd show up. Uh, Sherilyn Fenn would reprise her role as Velvet from Thrashin'. And then some rad people would show up. Like, uh, I would have H.B. Uh, Haggerty in the audience, the guy that played Sergeant Smith, so he could still be cheering crew on. Uh, Ray Walston <laughs> would show up as one of the organizers of the X game. He'd definitely have to put some money into that. Totally. And uh, Talia Shire would be there just to keep shaking her head like, you're just ruining your life, crew. <laughs> <laughs> And somewhere, I'm not sure where, but I would want to put um, a live music performance in there. And it would be Green Day because like 93 is like right before Doogie hit. And it would be reminiscent of like how the Red Hot Chili Peppers popped up in Thrashin' like right before they became a thing. And then uh, I'd also uh, square it out some other stuff I'd want on the soundtrack. I definitely want like a Meatloaf song on there. He did the theme to Thrashin'. There'd be some Devo, some Minutemen, just because that's kind of very L.A. at the time. Flaming Lips, because I don't know, I just think there'd be some fun Flaming Lips songs in there. And definitely some stuff by X. Nice. And like the whole X thing, like I I envision like on the poster, it would be like sort of like X is like for X games, but it's also for like crossover with all these films (laughs) coming together. I don't know. Yeah. This is, this is my crazy idea for, for a Rad sequel. Oh, it is extreme, for yeah. sure. So, okay, so I have, I have a few questions. Like, So I, I love, oh my god, I love <laughs> the breadth and the, uh, like, you just went for it. I love you crossing, crossing the streams. I love that. I am a little surprised you dumped Christian in the beginning, uh, like, and not follow back up with another love interest. Yeah, I, I was basically going to consider this one like the bros film where they all kind of fall yeah. in love with each other. And yeah, okay. <laughs> so I also have Chrissy breaking up with uh, Corey and I didn't bring it up, but Nia Peoples would also break up with Rick. Uh, Cause like when, when Rick uh, again, I don't know if you've seen North shore, but like when he 
kind of he comes from Arizona and he goes out to Hawaii to like make a name for himself and he falls in love with like a local girl and at the end you know he has to go back home because he's a teenager and he needs to go to college and you know she's not going to come with him because she has a life and a family and she has to take (laughs) care of there so it kind of has that karate kid vibe where when you get into that next movie the girl just never follows and right I know that's probably a little misogynistic but um I don't know I just kind of wanted to follow that pattern it works so well in the three karate kid movies Exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, it's just it's right in that pattern. So you yep. got it. Had you uh, thought about um, directing? Like, Yeah. I'm not as familiar with the directors of uh, Thrashin' and North Shore as I am with Hal Needham, but for the look and feel and just the crazy, like, um, kind of like action y sense that I want for this, and plus a lot of it takes place in LA, I was thinking Ridley Scott's brother, Tony Scott. Yeah, good call. Uh, you know, just lots of crazy, like, um, hazy. Uh, sundown sets of them you know biking through the city or skating through the city or whatnot and i know he could definitely do the action really well that is a good call i like that yeah that was wild though yeah i love it i love it that'd be so fun now i gotta go check out those other movies so i can catch up on all of it (laughs) all right well two great well technically three great pitches so far um but uh so my Mine is actually interesting because I feel like it takes a little bit for both of you. We're all in the same mindset here where I wanted this to be a direct sequel. So this is definitely, I'm not, you know, in 1986, now we're going to 1988. They put it right into production. But I think what it is, is, you know, what we were saying, this is very much in the Karate Kid vein. And it feels like BMX by this point had kind of faded. And so, you know, like skateboarding was taking over and also martial arts is a big deal with Ninja Turtles. So I felt like the producers would want to tap in Tokyo. What, what are the kids doing nowadays? And so I bring to you Rad 2 Bike Foo. <laughs> <laughs> so after winning Hell Track, Crew took his SATs to please his mother and applied to UCLA, paying for his college tuition through his endorsement deals. Figuring he could really make it big by taking rad racing to the birthplace of BMX, Crew soon finds himself a small fish in a big pond. Luckily, he's got a pal in Hollywood, Mike Miranda, who teaches him about the local BMX scene. And when a group of potential sponsors from Speed Force Racing meet Crew on campus to talk about funding rad racing, if he rides for them at the beachside BMX rally, he refuses saying that rad racing is all about ratting for yourself, and he'll pay his own entry fee. Upset by being turned down, they vow to make him sorry. Crew starts to show off a, a little bit around town and catches the attention of a girl named Maria. It turns out that Maria is the girlfriend of Tito, the leader of Los Serpientes, a Latin street gang from East L.A. And uh, it turns out Tito is also known for his sick BMX moves. Crew's invited to join the gang, but refuses. He's trapped in the back alleys, and he barely escapes with his life. When Crew's girlfriend Christian and sister Wesley come for a visit to see how beaten down and angry he is, Christian insists that he meet a friend of hers. Initially turned off by the biker's bad attitude, Master Chen eventually agrees to teach Crew how to focus his energy through the discipline of Kung Fu. Of course, Crew is a natural. When Crew comes upon Hollywood Mike Miranda being jumped by Los Serpientes, he fights the bullies off of the MX Kung Fu. Ah. At the hospital, Mike reveals that his beating was a message from Tito that Crew better not enter the rally, but Mike makes Crew promise to show them what BMX is all about. 
It turns out that Tito is now being sponsored by Speed Force, who have promised a $10,000 endorsement signing bonus if he wins the race. When they reveal that Crew turned them down initially, Tito's upset that he wasn't their first choice. So he decides instead to challenge Crew to a street race called La Raza del Fuego, a track marked by fire, broken glass jumps, and booby-trapped ramps. Oh, and one more thing. They've kidnapped Christian, and the only way they'll let her go is if Crew completes the track. <laughs> Using his new bike foo moves, Crew defeats Tito in the race, and Christian is released. In a show of good sportsmanship, Tito approaches Crew to congratulate him, then breaks his wrist and has the game trash his bike. The race is in two weeks, and now Crew's endorsement partners have backed out, seeing that he cannot ride the replacement bike that they brought along. They apologize and say he can keep the bike as a consolation. Crew meets with Master Chen, who teaches him that the glory of winning is an empty pot that must constantly be refilled, but inner peace is an endlessly flowing river. Crew responds that unless that Russian river is filled with gold, he's going to have to drop out of college to disappoint his mom, so he has to find a way to race and get back his endorsements. Master Chen teaches Crew a one-armed fighting style that increases his agility and strength, giving him the confidence to race despite his injury. The beachside BMX rally is a grueling competition attended by Master Chen, Christian, Wesley, and watched on TV by Hollywood Mike Miranda. Of course, the two race leaders are Crew and Tito, who end up in a Roman chariot head-to-head battle. Tito uses a few dirty tricks like bashing Crew's wrist with his back tire during a jump. But when he tries to run Crew off the final stretch of the track located on a beachside pier, the bike foo master does a one-armed handle stand and flips his bike out of the way, causing Tito to tumble below. Now the winner of two amazing races, Crew has his endorsements reinstated and wins the grand prize, a $25,000 college scholarship. Rad 2, bike foo. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> you know what's funny is like I had a character in mind named Torque, and the movie Torque with motorcycles actually had a bike fight that people were calling bike foo. Oh. <laughs> so it's kind of funny. We're like we overlap in this. Now here's the truth. On our show, what we usually do is vote for a winner. But I honestly think all of these movies have to be made. Um, <laughs> however, we'll do we'll do the formality of voting. But um, <laughs> I'm just like every one of these movies would be so much fun. I mean, you just take it beyond a rad trilogy. Just let it continue on as a TV series. You know, whatever yeah. you got to do. Totally. Yeah. How about for you, Pax? If you were going to vote for one, where would you fall? That would be tough. So if I'm, if I'm not big on my own, and I love, Adam, that you went with Kung Fu biking. I mean, that was just, I never even would have come up with that. And that is, that is such a great idea. And I love, you had so much fun with that. And then Sean's whole crossing the universes just blew my mind. I never would have thought about that. And I usually try to do stuff like that in mind. So like I... I would have a tough time picking, but I, I think I'd pick Sean's just for the sheer novelty of crossing over the like four different sports sportsploitation movies um, in one giant spectacle. <laughs> it was impressive. All right, Sean. So I mean, I'm I'm gonna go with Pax's because I like the the Karate Kid theming that he's got going here, where it's like the second one is like the the tri- the trip to the international thing, which is like the trip to o- Okinawa. Yeah. And the next one is sort of like the fall from grace and kind of having to pick yourself back up again, kind of the 
the Rocky thing, but it's also, you know, like in Karate Kid 3, which is a, <laughs> anything that references Karate Kid 3 is has got yeah. a special place in my heart. But I love the bike battle stuff. Like a lot of what you're talking about in yours, um, Adam, is, is very much uh, thrashing. There's, oh, there's yeah. like skate fights with like flaming maces and it's... You, you totally need to see that movie. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to check it out. <laughs> I think you were channeling a lot of stuff in that movie. <laughs> oh, well, yeah. So, obviously, that's, that's, I, you know, I love Sean's ambition with everything that you were going with there because I feel like it would be so much fun, yeah, to literally just be like picking out, okay, this person, this person. I mean, it would be the Infinity War of 80s sports exploitation <laughs> films, right? Perfect. Um, yes. <laughs> yeah, which is awesome. However, something about the imagery packs, and you mentioned it just in passing about them riding along the Berlin Wall. <laughs> I was just like, that is an image. I mean, that's the movie poster. That's like, right. that is so epic. And also, you know, going to, a, you know, Oktoberfest and <laughs> and finding a new way to, to do your dancing on your bike. I mean, there are just those moments aside, like I said, from all the uh, getting his own Apollo Creed and everything else through the process. So I have to vote for Pax. Congratulations. You are the winner. Awesome. Yeah, I think the but... real winner is the listener <laughs> because these pitches are amazing. Honestly, yeah. I mean, like when I was thinking about it, I was like, I don't know that there's anything to add or change in any of these because they're just so like you can see every moment happening uh, so yeah. clearly and, and every one of them is fun. So and I, I guess uh, the only the only thing that I wonder about is like, yeah, so we we decided that, we, you know, we wanted to see it basically within, you know, within a 10 year stretch of the original, pretty much a little bit less. So my question is for you guys, just spitballing, where do you think, you know, crew and Christian end up as adults in the modern day? If we were just to quickly, you know, throw out ideas for what are they doing now? What would that be? Because is there a BMX scene really now? Like I feel like there is, but maybe not in pop culture. Though yeah, the way the way I imagined it in my modern sequel, when I was trying to do that exact thing, I was like, where would uh, Crew and Christian be? And, and in my head, like they were married, they were running rad racing, and they were they're they're a part of the whole X Games uh, professional bike team. Like mm -hmm. I like uh, Crew was like is like the Michael Jordan of BMX racing. So like yeah. I imagine He's he does announcing. Hawk. Yeah, I imagine he does yeah. like announcing. He maybe he goes over to the Olympics for the Summer Olympics and uh, does some stuff like that. So uh, in my head, that's what they were doing. Is like they they are kind of the elder statesmen of the sport now. And those things do have a scene, and they can travel around and do appearances and stuff like that. Yeah, I, I also like the idea almost, though, like at some point that Christian turned from BMX racing and she's like, we got to grow up sometime, crew. But he secretly goes out and does his, you know, <laughs> he yeah. takes his bike out like in the early hours of the morning and he's always like, he never let it go. And then there's like some illegal BMX street racing scene <laughs> he gets involved in. But he, now, you know, but he's older now, but he's just like, I gotta, you know, he's going through his midlife crisis or whatever. Right. No, and he just can't <laughs> let the sport go. Myself. Yeah, he can't let the sport yeah. go. He's always got to be around it he's still coaching the team you know he does he wants to do exhibitions yeah totally i saw the same thing how about for yeah. you shot did you have any other modern day ideas uh i mean the way i look at it is probably 
he would end up something like I'm thinking like something like in the Cobra Kai series where Daniel ends up where he's like he ends up in a completely different profession, but he uses so much of his BMX stuff as like the framing for how he does a lot of the stuff that he does, whether it's doing uh, motivational speaking or whatever it is he's going to do. He's going to do it like using BMX as a platform because, yeah, it, it really isn't like so much like hugely in pop culture anymore. It's still there. And in fact, like Bill Allen is actually like learned to do a lot of the bike stuff. And he's gotten together with Eddie Fiola, who has his own bike company now, and they kind of do rad racing events all the time. They just rebuilt Helltrack. Whoa! Um, this summer, and I think it's like in a, in a couple of weeks or whatever they're gonna have an event where they're gonna read like they're actually gonna like race Helltrack and stuff like that. Oh, funny! I was wondering when I was going through my thing. I'm like, is Helltrack still there? Is it just like an abandoned shell of a park, or is like <laughs> is it still? Are they still using it? I was wondering. Yeah, what's that place in New Jersey that like was that super dangerous uh, theme park? Oh. Is it Action Park or yeah? Like that? So, oh yeah! yeah. <laughs> they just left Hell Track in that Canadian town, and people <laughs> sneak in past the barriers. <laughs> totally, kids. Kids are learning how to scale down that like ten-story wall or whatever it was. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah, yeah. I love it. I love it, man. So much potential with Rad too. Bill Allen, if you're listening, Talia Shire. Maybe we've inspired you. Maybe you see the potential now where you could take it and. See, see what you can do with it in modern days and then we'll get that blu-ray release special edition was there an official soundtrack at least sean or no yeah it was the, so that's the one piece of like actual collectible merchandise is the, the <laughs> soundtrack was released on vinyl and it's a digital download i don't think it ever hit cd but available now all right well gentlemen i want to thank you so much for being here filling in for my crew and uh you definitely brought your a game for sure sean why don't you tell the folks where they could find you and maybe drop a line also on your documentary appearance recently that we we were just uh privy to when you were on for monster squad now it's oh, available gotcha yeah so yeah you can find me at uh branded in the 80s.com um I'm one third with packs of the cultfilmclub.com and my wife and I just launched uh, a new kind of little side project on the, the that we're like into like packs loves movie novelizations I love movie novelizations and one of the things we've talked about for a long time is it's hard to find who wrote novelizations what novelizations exist etc so we've set up movienovelizations.com which is has some lofty goals of eventually cataloging all uh, movie novelizations, but we've got a pretty good jump start with about 200 right now. And as far as the documentary thing, yeah, when when we did the Monster Squad episode, um, I had been tapped by Andre Gower to guest and do an interview for his documentary that he was doing about the making of the Monster Squad and sort of the the cult uh, success that the film has uh, achieved over the years. So that movie, which is now called Wolfman's Got Nards, has uh, <laughs> just been released on the the festival circuit this summer, and they've had um, a couple of appearances at the Chattanooga Film Fest and the Overlook Film Fest, and they're about to bring it to Australia and Chicago, and they're going to keep hitting festivals throughout the summer, but I believe this fall uh, they're nailing down a distribution deal to get it out on uh, Blu-ray and streaming. So yes. I'm so looking forward to that because I can finally say that I have starred in a movie with Heather Langenkamp and Seth Green. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to be great. Pax, what about you? Where can the folks find you? Uh, you can find me every month on, uh, or actually, well, every 
couple weeks on uh, Nerd Lunch Podcast since we recently cut our appearances back a little bit. Um, I also, am, like Sean said, I'm with him on Cult Film Club Podcast. Um, I do another Western podcast called Hellbent for Letterbox, And um, I, uh, I do a solo podcast called I Read Movies about novelizations. Like Sean said, we're both big fans and um, he started the website and I started the podcast. We kind of partnered together. So I do a show each month. I cover a novelization, cover the differences with the movie and stuff like that. And, um, kind of just go over the particulars of a, of one novelization. And, um, it's a lot of fun. So, and that's, that's a monthly one as well. And tell them which one's coming up next. Cause this probably will coincide with that. It's very exciting. Right. So the last one I did was uh, return of the Jedi. And, uh, the one that will be coming up is probably should be out by the time. Maybe this is out is uh, going to be who framed Roger rabbit by Martin Noble. It's the novelization of the film, not the right. original novel. I'll, co- I'll cover both. I'll okay. cover the Martin Noble novelization, but then ultimately that will lead to a discussion on the Gary Wolf novel who censored okay. Roger rabbit. Yeah, that's very cool. And you could go back again, to the sequel quest archives find our who framed roger rabbit sequel discussion as well after you listen to pax's episode of i read movies so it's very exciting yeah so find these guys if you love this episode you'll love the stuff they focus on and uh, also just stay tuned we got a lot of episodes lined up and a lot of returning guests as well just like sean and pax if you want to go back and listen to the monster squad episode or the shadow episode with pax those are really great discussions at that time as well and so until next time we hope you enjoyed this episode of sequel quest and invite you to join us next week for another discussion about a film that never was share your ideas with the sequel quest universe by visiting sequelquestpod.com following us on twitter at sqpod on facebook by searching sequel quest or sending an email to sequelquestpod at gmail.com let the world know how much you enjoy the show by leaving a review and five star rating on itunes All films and characters discussed on Sequel Quest are the property of their respective studios and license holders. No copyright infringement is intended. 